Let's read Romans 12, 3 through 8. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Romans 12, 3 through 8. All right, you may be seated. I was so thankful for our music team up here. Is it awesome to sing on the side of a mountain or what? You. Um, man, and Kat, thanks for playing violin. Oh, it's awesome. I love violin. Um, okay, so we have been preaching through the book of Romans. And I feel a little bit bad for you if you have not been listening online or if this is your first time jumping in, I feel like you're like literally trying to catch a train that's going about 80 miles an hour, uh, you know, where you're like running after it and then just jump on. So I, I don't want any tragedies today, so I'm going to try to slow it down and give you an intro. If you're already on the train because you've been coming to church services for the last, you know, month to three months, actually, no, we've been in Romans for like half a year, maybe even a year. Anyway, uh, you're going to probably get a little frustrated and whiplash because I'm going to slow it down and intro it again. The book of Romans is the absolute meat and potato of Scripture. It is the starch. It is heavy, heavy stuff. So heavy that I actually had a guy that comes to our outdoor church services in the wintertime call me Friday night, and he goes, you're not still in the book of Romans, are you? I said, yeah, we are. He goes, all right, let me know when you're done, and I'll come back. <laughs> not even kidding you, that's what he said. And I said, I don't blame you, dude. Let me know when, when I'm done and I'll come back. And uh, I didn't want to preach through Romans. I didn't. I got to the end of the book of Acts, and uh, we had done the Sermon on the Mount when I first got here. That makes sense. That was an easy one to do first. We'd done the book of James. Uh, then after the book of James, our local church had birthed, and I felt, oh, my goodness, I am so not prepared to be a local pastor. And so we went through the books of First and Second Timothy, which lays out how to do church. Once we made it through those, uh, we decided to go, okay, now that we have a church, now what? And Acts is the now what of the church, meaning Christ came, gave his life, rose again, spent some time with his disciples, and then hit the up button on the elevator in the end of Matthew and says, hey, now go and be the church. And Acts is disciples being the church. And so we read the book of Acts and we preached through the book of Acts because we're like, this is how we're supposed to do it. Got to the end of the book of Acts, which was a lot of fun because I love action. I do not love academia. I do not love academia. And um, let me say again, I do not love academia. You'll second that. Amen. Um, and so the book of Romans felt very academic to me. It felt very doctrinal, theological, all things that as a hippie mountain pastor who loves to ski wants to stay away from. 
I want to be like, bro, dude, come hit a chairlift with me and let me tell you about Jesus, man. That's me, right? Not like, dude, let me break down the theological implications of the book of Romans. You know, that's like someone's grandfather. Um, and that reminds me, if you are not familiar with Loon Mountain Ministry, we are year-round. You are currently at the summer outdoor church services. Yoo-hoo! Awesome to be here, right? You can feel it. It's not this hot in January when we do church. Um, in January when we do church outside, I take my glove off during my sermon, and when I can't feel my hand anymore, I just say amen no matter where I am and put my glove back on. So the length of the, ser- the ser- sermon is determined by the temperature outside. I actually hate heat worse than I hate cold. So if my sermon is short today, it's because A, it's wicked hot out here, and B, I'm going to Black Mountain Burger for Father's Day, and I want to get down there. You <laughs> Getting a half-pound Reuben Burger with pretzel bun, sweet potato fries with maple mayo, and... <laughs> And some onion rings with lemon Cajun mayo. Dude, I should charge Herman. That was a plug for Black Mountain Burger right there. <laughs> Happy Father's Day. Um, what were we talking about? Oh, yes, Romans. Um, so I got to Romans, and the Holy Spirit says, you got to preach it, bro. And I'm like, yeah, no, I, I don't, actually. And he goes, yeah, actually you do. And I was like, oh, okay. And so I got into Romans, and we covered the really hard not fun stuff of Romans, and we've been going through, and we're currently on Romans chapter 12, and it's not been that bad, really. I've actually learned a lot, you know. I had to dust off my Romans book. I took Romans in college. Any book of the Bible that takes two semesters to cover, you know, is a doozy. You know, you got Romans 1, and you got Romans 2. That's a doozy. So I'm going to catch you up on the book of Romans. The book of Romans was written by this guy named Paul. Paul, his name wasn't always Paul. It originally was Saul. Paul was born a devout Jew, follower follower of the Pentateuch. The Pentateuch was written by a guy named Moses, and it told you how to live a flawless Jewish life, and Paul did it. And when Jesus came and created this thing called the way, or these Christians, Paul, or Saul, I should say, Saul saw them as a threat, and so he went after them. But when he was going after them, he had a radical encounter with the Son of God. He had a radical encounter with God himself on a road, a huge light. And God says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Now, Saul Saul at this time thought he was defending God. Now, we as Christians, especially evangelicals, we like to look at Saul that he's somebody else, that he's for the bad team, and then he came on to the good team when he came Paul. But you know what, evangelical? I am guilty of trying to defend God. Are you? I see evangelicals all the time trying to defend God. Evangelical, listen to me. When you defend God, you look as ridiculous as Saul when he tried to. Stop it. God is a big boy, and he can defend himself. He's never asked you or me to ever defend him. He's asked you and me to love our neighbor as ourself. And when you try to defend God, you and I look like Saul. A grumpy, people-hating, justice-toting punk. Stop it. 
We do that because we have fear. We have fear that if we don't defend God, somehow God's going to slip away. So I, I don't know. We do it out of fear because I think actually defending God for most of us is way easier than loving our neighbor, right? I know it's easier for me, right? So stop it. Saul had a radical conversion to Christ, and he goes, oh, my goodness, I thought I was doing the right thing. Many of you evangelicals, many of me evangelicals think we're doing the right thing. If you're hurting other people, you're not doing the right thing. So Paul had a radical conversion, came to Christ, and Christ says, now, you are a devout Jew. I am going to call you to go to the Gentiles. Do you know what that's like saying? That's like saying to a Red Sox fan, hey, Red Sox fan, I'm going to call you to love on Yankee fans. That's like asking me to love on Giant fans. Oh, helmet catches and sideline catches that shouldn't happen. I like the NFL. I'm a big Patriots fan. Uh, the NFL is American football. Sorry, uh, uh, Australia. Um, you guys have rugby, right? Australian rules rugby. That's right. That's right, mate. Um, what was I talking about? Oh, so Paul comes to know Christ. Paul has to be humiliated. He has to be humbled. Saul means great. Paul literally means puny. The translation of Paul is puny. He went from the word Saul, which is great, to Paul, which is puny. And then he was asked to be a witness to the people who he just didn't like. That'd be like asking somebody from here to be a witness to the white and red license plates that come through town. Oh, that's not very nice. So funny, you know, technology today makes sometimes working in parking lots difficult. I was helping park cars at Loon. It gets kind of crazy down here on a Saturday when everyone wants to ski at the same time. And everyone gets really frustrated and they all park right up front, you know. And what has happened these days is people have relied on this TV camera in their car or this TV in their car. And so I didn't know this at first. I, I didn't think about it. None of my cars have a TV in it. Uh, they, well, actually, my fan does back there with the kids, but I don't think they can see anything when I back up. Um, uh, so I was really frustrated because I would be behind these cars. and be like, yeah, yeah, back it up. Yep, back it up. Hey, hey, back it up. And I'd look over in the side view. I'm like, hey, yo, back it up. And I could tell they weren't looking at me at that side view, so I went in this side view. Back it. No, they're not looking at me. All of a sudden, I was like, oh, they're looking at my kneecaps in their TV screen, and they won't back up because there's somebody's kneecaps in their TV screen. So I was like, back it up, back it up. They're like, oh, my goodness. It's a riot where we've gone, you know. I'm just like, what am I doing? I'm like looking at somebody through their license plate. What's up? You need to move your car. You know, it's so funny. I love it. We're preaching on Romans. What is going on? Um, I haven't even got into my sermon yet. So the book of Romans was written by Paul. Paul wrote the book of Romans to a church in Rome. And he wrote to a church that was divided. He wrote to a church that was arguing over whether they should have choruses or hymns. Or whether they should read the King James Version or the NIV Version. Or whether women should be able to stand up front and do something or not, or whether or not it was okay to baptize people this way or that way. Literally, they were having these arguments. 
And it was between the Jewish people and everyone that wasn't Jewish. Ever been to a church like that? All churches are like that. So we've been to one. You know, when I was a kid growing up, my dad was a pastor. And everyone told me, you're going to be a pastor. And I said, no, thank you. They said, well, why not? I said, a pastor is a guy who facilitates meetings where you argue over carpet color. That's what a pastor did to me, you know? Then they told me I could be a ski resort pastor. I was like, now you're talking. We all want one carpet color, white. We all pray for white carpet, don't we? With zzz, corduroy. Oh, there is, all those people that ski pow out west, I, I, hats off, I love pow. And when I can get the two days that I get usually a year to ski pow in the east, it's awesome. But that is the same feeling when you ski fresh corduroy, the first one down, and it is good, edgeable corduroy. Do I hear an amen? Oh, you're from the east. I like it. You go out west, you're like, dude, that corduroy was amazing. And the guy from Colorado was like, what are you talking about? Corduroy? Like, yeah, the groomer, man. They're like, you're weird. Um, Romans, I keep getting distracted. <laughs> There is apparently someone that does not want you to hear this sermon. Lord, help me. Um, Paul wrote this to a church divided. And he starts saying, hey, guys, you're arguing over really lame stuff. I'm going to give you a book that tells you exactly what you need to believe. Nothing more, nothing less. Please keep it to this. And we go down through the book of Romans. We've learned in Romans chapter 1 that we have a father that gives us a lot of leash. And if we use up that leash, he's saying, hey, listen. I, 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 don't, I didn't create robots. I am not a controlling dad. You go ahead and do what you need to do, even if it hurts you. Let me say that again. We don't have a controlling father. Romans chapter 1 tells us that if we make decisions enough, he will give us over to the depravity of our mind. That's a scary thought. I've looked into the depravity of my mind. Yeah, we don't want to go there. So then we work our way through Romans, and we find out about grace. We find out about faith. We find out about Christ and his sacrifice. We find out all these different things that are all doctrinal. But they are the major stuff. They're not the minor stuff. Paul doesn't give us an example of how to do the small stuff. He does that in Timothy a little bit, but not in Romans. And now we get to Romans chapter 12, what you guys read. Okay? Romans chapter 12 in verses 3 through, what did we read today? 3 through something. 3 through 8. 3 through 8, is called the gifts. Now, I always called these the what? Spiritual gifts. I did some research. There are three places in Scripture where the gifts are talked about. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, and Ephesians 4. These are all books in the Bible, all actually written by Paul. In the book of Romans, Paul does not use the word spiritual gift. You see it. It's on your bulletin. No. He uses that language in 1 Corinthians 12. He said these are the spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 12 says these are the spiritual gifts. In Ephesians 4, he said these are the offices given by Christ. That's his language there. But what's the language here in chapter 12? It says this. It's the grace of God. It's the grace given you. Grace given you. Here's the thing. Christian, stop thinking you have a niche on the corner. Stop creating an us versus them mentality. 
It's wrong. I know you're doing it to make much of Christ. I get it. And I want to make much of Christ too. And we do have the truth and we have the Holy Spirit living in us. That's amazing. But what we do is we position ourselves. We love to jockey for power. Why? Because it makes us feel better. Christian, when you believe you have a niche on the market over somebody else, you remind me and myself of a middle school kid who sits there and tries to categorize everyone based upon what your iPod can do, right? Just in, when we get older, it's like what your vacation home can do, not your iPod anymore, right? What it says here is, that's kind of nice when the gondola stops, huh? going to start again um that's awesome this is the grace of god these gifts here and you know what that means according to titus 2 11 is that these gifts are not given just to christians and that was what i kind of once thought and maybe some of you are deeper theological than i am and you might be able to after the service come up and say hey bro no actually these are only just for christians I don't get that in the original language here. This is given by the grace of God. This is all given by God. And Titus chapter 2 verses 11 tells me this, that the grace of God is available to all humankind. It's given to all humankind. And when I read chapter 12 in this light, it made a lot of sense. You know why? I have dear friends that are not believers that have the gift of teaching. Have one of those friends? Oh my goodness, they're good at teaching. I have dear friends that are not believers that have the gift of prophecy. And you might say, whoa, 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 whoa. I'll define it in just a minute. I've got some amazing friends that do not have the spirit of God that have the gift of generosity. I am amazed at what they give. Amazed. So let's read it with this. Here's the difference. You might be sitting there going, I don't like your language, Marcus. Maybe you'll like this a little bit more. I believe these gifts in Romans chapter 12 versus the gifts given in, Rome, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it says, are the gifts of the Spirit. I believe those are given by the Spirit. These, I believe, you could say, are the gifts of God's grace. Grace. It's available to all humankind. I believe that these gifts, when under the power of the Holy Spirit are incredible but when under your flesh maybe for good depending upon how you use them but could be for really bad could be for really bad well let's start looking at them first we have prophecy second we have serving third is teaching fourth is encouraging fifth is giving sixth is mercy uh leadership and seven is mercy. So these are gifts given by God to humankind. Now last week I told the congregation, I told myself this. You know a gift is from God when it's supposed to be used for somebody else. See, when you get a gift, when I get a gift for Father's Day today, right? My buddy Jesse, he's my seven-year-old boy. He made me a coffee mug, handed it to me this morning. That's for me, right? 
It says dad. Will someone get in trouble if they drink out of dad's mug? Yeah, we'll mug them. That's for me. That gift from Jesse, my son, not God. A gift from God is always given to you for somebody else. And when you use God's gift only for you, it rots, it spoils, it turns to dust. Let me say that again. When you use God's gift for you and not to serve others, it will rot, it will decay, it will be poison, and it will ruin you. And that's why I believe some of my non-believing friends still have the power of these gifts. Why? Because they've got something right, even though they don't got God. I watch my non-believing friends use their gifts for somebody else. I watch them teach passionately to lift up others. I watch them give generously to lift up others. I watch them have mercy to lift up others. I believe they will always have that gift. Now, now, God's gift to you is always for somebody else. However, our God is king, and a king has servants. Now, when the Holy Spirit enters your life, he takes God's given gift to you, and he shows you how to use it for the building of the kingdom of the king. And now you can be part of something much bigger than your school, much bigger than your nonprofit organization, much bigger than the mission, vision, value of your LLC. Those are all okay things. But when the Spirit enters your life because you've confessed your sin with your mouth and you've believed in your heart that Jesus is not just your Savior, but you also declare him your Lord, capital L, I will serve you. Lord, when you do that, when you surrender, the Spirit enters your life and he awakens these gifts and he opens your eyes to how to use them to build the kingdom. I have some unbelieving friends that are unreal teachers that I'm like, oh God, please open their life to the power of the Holy Spirit because if the Holy Spirit got into that teacher, wow, what would happen? I've got some friends with the gift of generosity, and I thought to myself, oh, oh, if the Holy Spirit ever gets a hold of you, bro, you are going to be famous, not here on earth, but in heaven. You'll be so famous in heaven that you and I won't be able to hang out in heaven, dude, because everyone will be like, you with that dude, that generous dude. Got some friends with the gift of mercy. If the Holy Spirit entered their, their world, they, they but here's the thing. It ain't easy, because when the Holy Spirit opens your eyes, your flesh freaks out, because your flesh says, ain't no way we can do that. When a merciful person is entered by the Holy Spirit, their flesh goes, "Uh uh-uh, I'm too tired. There ain't enough hours in the day. There's not enough money on earth. No way. And the Spirit says, flesh, you shut up, because I am powerful. I will sustain you. I will show you Sabbath, and I will show you work. 
and that ebb and flow of rest and work and rest and work. So here are the gifts given to, I believe, according to Romans chapter 12 and our buddy Paul that are given to everyone. And guess what? You as Christians get to know that. And so you can begin to pray for your neighbor in a new way because you can identify their God-given gift. You can begin to encourage them in their God-given gift. And who knows? Maybe if they begin to polish that thing off, they might meet their maker. They might just ask the question, who gave this to me anyway? Because mom certainly wasn't merciful. First one, prophecy. Prophecy. This one is one that we all go, uh, especially if you're a Baptist, you're like, oh no, let's just skip this one. It's scary. Prophecy does not mean telling the future. Prophecy means telling the truth. Now, the truth might have something to do with the future. So they might, you might say to somebody, you are going to make a phenomenal medical doctor. That could be truth about that person. That's prophecy, you know? You know what prophecy over me was? I told this story last week. My, uh, my um, advisor in school after college told me I went to his office to get an application for grad school, and he said, don't do it. You're horrible at school. I wouldn't wish you on any grad professor. Get out and go do. That was prophecy. And it hit me in the head like a two-by-four. He was awesome. Dr. Steele lived up to his name. Um, and if you want to see it in Scripture, I'd write this down. I wanted to earlier ask some people to read these, but I just don't have time. 1 Timothy 1.18. That is where the Greek word prophecy is used. Could also be mean discernment. When I've done the spiritual test or I've done the God-given gifts test, I score pretty high on prophecy. I had a professor in college say, hey, you sure seem to know where to point out people's wrongs. Oh, thanks. He goes, do you use that gift to pray for them or do you just talk to them and tell them where they're wrong? He said, I would encourage you, pray for somebody for a month before you go and talk to them. Because God's given you the power to pray because you know what to pray about. Because he's let you see. I've always just thought it was, I thought everyone saw what I saw. It wasn't until I got married right? And you have that classic conversation in the car on the way home from somebody. I would get in the car and be like, wow, their marriage is, is almost done. It's struggling. And my wife would be like, what are you talking? How'd you get that? I'm like, you didn't get that. They're, they're not doing well. And she'd be like, no, no. What Marcus, you don't, you can't just say that. Week later, we'd get a text. Hey, we're doing really bad. Our marriage is really struggling. Can you help us? And my wife would be like, how'd you do that? I'm like, I don't know. I just saw it. I thought you saw it. I thought you saw it no different than you read their t-shirt. I don't know. That's the gift of prophecy, all right? I'm sorry. I become awfully judgmental when I use it in my flesh. When I use prophecy, when the Spirit's guiding me, I go, oh, oh, man, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. You're hurting yourself. You're hurting yourself. Let's, let's walk through this. When I use it in the flesh, I'm like, look at that person, dude. They are whack. See the difference? I'm sorry if I've done that to you. It's not cool. If I do it, kick me in the shin. Be like, you're in the flesh, pastor. Stop it. Serving. 
I love people with the gift of service. I burn you out. Sorry. Uh, this Greek word is diakonia, which where we get our word deacon from. It simply means to aid. Men, ever been to someone's house who has uh, a mother with this gift? It can get a little bit much. Can I get you a drink? Can I get you a drink? Do you want some ice? Do you want some ice? How about diet? How about regular? How about regular? How about, you do, oh, you don't want, okay, cold, hot? You want hot, cold? Okay. Oh, no, would you like something to eat? Something to eat? Something to eat? Oh, uh, come on, come on, come on, come on. You're like, okay, I am not thirsty or hungry, and I'm going to stand in the entrance of your house. I know it's going to freak you out, but can I just talk to your husband for a second and ask him one question because I'm late? Oh, no, you need a drink, you need a drink, you need a drink. And what happens to these people is they do. They do. They burn themselves out. Most people with the gift of service get burnt out and embittered and never come back to the church again. And what happens is they come here, they look for identity. They get their ego stroked by the pastor or the people in charge by how much they're doing. It feels really good at first until it burns you out and then it makes you embittered. So a servant under the power of the Holy Spirit knows when to serve and when to take a nap. When it's the flesh, all you do is just serve until you die, fall over. We've seen it. Luke chapter 10, verse 40. Luke chapter 10, verse 40. That's a negative, that's a negative use of the, of, the, uh, of, of the gift serving. It's Martha and Mary. She worked herself under the table and was really angry at her sister for not working hard enough. Teaching. I love this. Teaching. Here we go. Teaching. This is what it is. It's discern, analyze, deliver. See, my prophecy has the gift of discern, but sometimes I don't know how to deliver it. What I love about teachers is they deliver it, and they have information for days. Our good friend Craig that runs the sound system, God has gifted in high in the gift of teaching. He's our roommate. He lives with us. I feel really bad because there's a lot of times where I'm like, Craig, I don't want to be taught right now. Do I look like I'm in class? There is no desk. I got to go. And poor Craig's like, but I got something to teach you. It's awesome. Craig has a beautiful gift of teaching, and I love it most of the time. I ha I've learned so much from living with Craig. You know what? I have lived in New England my whole life, never cared about the birds. I just haven't. I just never even stopped to think about them. I like the loon call. That's about it. You know what's crazy? I'm in the porch now analyzing chickadees because of Craig. I'm like, whoa, check out their flight pattern. Get a life, Marcus. The next one. Oh, that one is Matthew 9, 35, teaching. Talk about little Jesus when he was 12. Said he went around to the synagogues teaching as a little boy. That word teaching, that's what he was doing. He was teaching from the Old Testament, and all these old scholars were like, who is this genius? Encouraging. Every single one of my best friends that are males are encouragers. That tells you a little bit something about me. <laughs> I'm a sap. I love a good pat on the back. I love a good attaboy. You're doing a good job. I am like a big old golden retriever puppy. <laughs> I love encouragers. And if you, if, 
All my best friends are encouragers from high school, from elementary school, and from college. It's a riot. They're all like the same people, but different names. It's so funny. And when we all get together and hang out, the three of them, I'm like, whoa, there's three of you and one of me, and you guys are all the same. Because <laughs> other prophets, they don't want to hang out with me. I don't blame them. Teachers, they normally don't like hanging out with me either. But servers and encouragers, love you guys. The Greek word, I love this, has two parts. If you're an encourager, you got such the coolest gift, you will never not have friends. But you too will burn yourself out. You too will get very embittered. Do you know what the Greek word here for this is? It's two-part. Calling on companionship. The encourager calls companionship out of other people. How beautiful is that? Calling out companionship. Thank you, encouragers. Acts 16.40. And then givers. Thank you, givers. You know, givers also can get very embittered. Givers can also get very embittered. But generosity is incredible. God's gift of generosity to people. Now, there's a difference. All of us should be giving. All of us should be giving. But some people definitely have the gift of generosity. You know what one of my friends calls it? The gift of wanting to be poor. That's what she said. She goes, my husband... He has the gift of wanting to be poor. The moment he gets anything, he gives it all away. Guess what I've noticed about people with the gift of generosity? They're typically extremely wealthy. They typically have houses on lakes, boats, jets. I'm not kidding you. Now, not always, but I have been around generous people, and I've gone, oh, my goodness gracious. You know who I'm talking about, don't you? Bill Gates is an extremely generous Man, if you get to read anything about Bill Gates, I think he's given back an estimated 40 bill. 40 bill. Not 40 bills, like $40. Like 40 billion, right? And you'd say, oh, well, that's, that's nothing. Oh, really? What's your combined household income? Oh, it's $80,000? That'd be like you giving $40,000 back because his estimated wealth is about double 40 bill. Isn't that nuts? Percentage-wise is insane. The gift of giving, understanding the needs of others and meeting the need with generosity, Luke 3.11. Leadership, setting goals for the future of God's purpose, setting goals for fulfilling God's purpose and communicating those goals in a way that provoke action. 1 Timothy 3.4. Mercy, to feel compassionate and act on that feeling, Luke 10.37. I'm sorry that I'm going fast. I wish I could spend more time. We are all wilting fast.